If you rent in Australia at the moment, how are you going? Rents are increasing really rapidly and in all sorts of places across the country. And it's causing a lot of distress for for renting families. How to cope with rising rents today on Feed, Play, Love. Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt. If you have young children and you rent, chances are you're feeling a bit of stress at the moment. The cost of living is increasing across the country as rents, groceries and petrol prices all rise. Many families are also working with a reduced income because when children are small, one parent will often be caring for that child or children either full-time or part-time. So how can families manage with so many cost pressures? Given that rents are one of the biggest costs to households, we've got Leo Patterson-Ross, CEO of the New South Wales Tenants' Union, to talk to us about what we can do to handle increasing rents. Hi, Leo. How are you? Hi, Siobhan. Great, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Do you have a sense of how big this problem of rising rents is? You know, we're seeing places in New South Wales that have never seen increases as quick uh, or as high as that they're seeing at the moment. And people who, you know, have never struggled to find a new home when they have been going out to look, finding it really difficult and, and being knocked back from not just one or two places, but maybe 10, 20, 50 places before they find a new home. So it's really reaching new and worrying heights of stress because we just really haven't tackled the the problems of our housing sector for a long time. And COVID, floods, bushfires uh, have really kind of brought things to a head. So you mentioned a few things there that have exacerbated the problems, but do we know what the underlying cause of this sudden hike in rents is now? It's really hard to pinpoint a single cause. Uh, Some of the things that have been pointed to is that the size and type of households has changed over the last couple of years, uh, including a real drop in group households. People are much more likely to be living by themselves. And that, of course, means that they are taking up more properties than they would have when they were a a share household, say. And people are looking for more space because they are trying to work from home, many of them, or they're spending more time at home, uh, or at least there's that risk if there's another lockdown. So people are looking for different arrangements in their housing. And that's almost certainly a part of the situation, but it's not, not, not enough to explain the whole move or why we're seeing it in so many different places at, at, at once. It is probably different stories in different areas. So people who move to the regions might be coming back from those regions. People who have been in different kinds of households are, are spreading out. The impact of holiday lettings and the return of some tourism even if it is only domestic, means that some places that might have been used as rentals are now going back to the holiday lettings side. So there's a range of factors that can be at play. And one of the big challenges for for people like me and, and, and people watching housing policy is that there's actually very little reliable data about the housing sector, particularly the renting sector. So some really fundamental questions can't be answered, like how many 
uh, homes or how many tenants are being evicted in a week or a month or a year. We rely mostly on anecdotes and, and surveys rather than having a single point of truth that a, a better regulated sector would probably have. And that makes it difficult for policymakers and uh, governments to answer uh, and respond to what's happening. Speaking of anecdotal evidence and, and stories that you hear, one thing that has come up a lot, I think, in the media are young families who just cannot find somewhere to live with their children. And I know that the examples seem quite extreme when, and that's the nature of media, right? So you get the extreme stories of a single mother who isn't working, has to somehow find a place to keep her children safe. Um, but it seems to me those factors I mentioned in the introduction, that when you have young children, you do have these cost pressures because maybe not both of you are working. Do you know anecdotally whether families are feeling this particular rent hike more intensely than before? We've certainly seen, and, and it's a, a well-known experience, that particularly single parents and often single mothers find it much more difficult to find a home. Ultimately, the problem is that we do run renting as this competitive market where unlike many other especially essential services so your energy and water and, and that kind of thing which housing is really one of we don't run a competitive market there where the, the consumers are competing against each other to try and get their energy or water what we do instead is make sure that everyone has access to energy and water and it's at an, a relatively affordable level and instead in renting, we, we pitch people against each other. And so what landlords and agents are looking to do is find the person who is most likely, or, or rather the household, who is most likely to be able to afford the rent, to uphold all the terms of the contract. And so then they assess all those households against each other. And when you are just one person, it's very difficult to compete against two incomes in that sense. But you might need the exact same number of bedrooms in the same location because you might have the same number of children. It is unlawful to discriminate against a person for having children or for, for that, that family status. But because it's such an untransparent competitive process, it can be very easy for those factors to sneak in, even indirectly. So it's not an intentional act to discriminate, but it's just done on the numbers, done on the on the, on the math, and the result is that it makes it very difficult for families. Um, but children sometimes are seen as, as a liability because they are slightly more likely to cause some damage, um, slightly more likely to, to cause a mess and so on. And that can be, again, unlawfully, maybe unintentionally, but maybe it sneaks into the decision-making and makes it harder uh, for people to find a home. Let's talk about what we are able to do if we're in the position of renting. Do we have any rights when a landlord puts up the rent or do we just have to cop it? So there are a range of rules around rent increases and guidance as to how to assess a, a fair rent increase. The 
first thing that when you when you first receive a rent increase notice, the first thing to check is that whether it is legally served. So has it been either 12 months since the last increase, if you're in a periodic agreement, or is it the new fixed term contract? So you're getting a new fixed term. Then you have to be given 60 days notice of the increase taking effect. And that's true regardless of whether it's in a periodic agreement or at the beginning of a new fixed term. Uh, the 60 days notice is still required. And that's, a, that's an area where often mistakes are made by agents and landlords. So check that those things have been taken care of uh, and that the notice itself gives the date that it's going to take effect gives the amount of the increase and has been signed and served in the way that the tenancy agreement requires. So once you've accepted that it's a, a legal increase notice, then you can start thinking about the size of the increase. Now, the size of the increase is not regulated in New South Wales or in any state of Australia apart from a soft regulation in the ACT. But what the legislation in every state does say is that the increase has to be to essentially the market level of rents for that property in the area. And that doesn't mean just what are the rents that in general other properties of the same size going for, but a very specific and nuanced approach that takes into account the repairs needed in your property, the kind of amenities that your property has that maybe others don't have or do have. So, you know, when your property doesn't have air conditioning or doesn't have a balcony or the carpets are very old or the, the repairs have been unattended, then all those things can reduce what the market value of that property should be. So the first step is to go out and start looking at what are advertised rents. That's usually the easiest number to get, uh, to, to start getting a, a sense. It's often what's being reported by domain, by realestate.com. They're putting out fairly regularly rent prices for advertised rents. But then you also want to think about what are the rents for people who've been living there for a little while, because that's actually still part of the market rent calculation. So if you know your neighbours, this might be easier if you've already got a relationship with them. But finding out what people are paying for the properties that they've been in for a while, particularly if they're the same building and same type of apartment or home as yours, then that can be a really persuasive piece of evidence. We run a rent tracker tool which shows what the rent prices are for new bonds being lodged in New South Wales, which is slightly more accurate than the advertised prices because it reflects the actual rent paid rather than what the advertisement sought the rent to be paid. And sometimes that means it's higher, sometimes that means it's lower than what the advertisement was. But we put out that tool so that people can plug in their details and get a, a fairly good idea of rent prices in the area for the size and type of, of dwelling. And once you've done all, those all that research and had to think about whether the proposed increase is in line with the general level, then you can decide whether it's worth negotiating with the landlord. Uh, we have had people recently who've been asked to pay more than $100 more a week than what any kind of reasonable research would suggest would be a, a level that would be supported at the mm. tribunal. And there's still quite significant pressure to, to pay anyway, but they did have somewhere to negotiate. They you know, it, it wasn't simply a matter that just because the, the landlord had, had pitched for a level that that was definitely going to go through. 
If you can't negotiate, if you can't sort of have a chat about it, put forward a counteroffer, then the tribunal or court in, in some states is able to make a decision about what the rent increase should be. And they may well bring the rent increase down uh, from what had been pitched, if you can put forward the evidence. Whatever the increase is, if you're unable to pay it, does that mean ultimately you will be evicted? And what does that mean if you've if you've signed a lease for a certain term and let's say you've got six months left on your lease and they increase the rent but you can't afford that increase, are you liable to whatever the terms were in the lease if you break it? So if the rent was increased and it was a legal increase, it went through, but you couldn't afford it, then it will still be legally binding on you. And in New South Wales, there's a specific clause that says that the tribunal can't consider the affordability of the increase. They have to only consider the market market value. So it can put a lot of pressure on households. What we do see is that sometimes people are forced to move. So they see the increase coming and they say, oh, well, I'm, I'm not going to be able to afford that. I'm just going to have to leave. So they remove themselves from the property. But we've actually also heard from people who have been served the eviction notice at the end of the lease or the in the periodic, the no grounds notice, um, because the agent knew that they wouldn't be able to afford it. And so they evicted the sitting household and then put up the property for a higher rent. And that was how they resolve that issue rather than having to deal with rent arrears or, or some of those other impacts. So it can be a very tough situation and where we are seeing such rapid rises, we're also hearing a, from a lot of people who are struggling to, to be able to keep up with the rents or are feeling forced out of not only their home, but often their community. Often it it's precipitates someone moving from the town or the city because they just can't stay where they where they have all those connections anymore. The assumption must be from the landlord uh, or real estate's perspective that if they put the rents up, there will be someone who can pay them. Um, given that the rents are going up so quickly across all suburbs, is that necessarily true? Yeah. That is the decision that the landlord always has to make and the agent is there to guide them in that uh, and, and, and usually makes recommendations about what the, the price level should be. The, the, but that is the, the risk that they take when they increase the rent. Is this increase going to be too high and I'm going to lose interest? And so my property might sit vacant for a while, but it might just take longer before I find someone. Or if they get it really wrong, that just no one wants to move in. And that'll be when we know we've hit the, the top. There's a few things though that mean we're unlikely to hit the very top for a while. So the problem at the moment is that there is usually someone who is willing to pay and, and sometimes a better way of saying it is they're more desperate to pay. Mm. So people might start looking at paying more than the 30% of their income for rent, which is actually often a limitation that the real estate agencies put on applications. So they, they collect all the applications and then they put a bit of an assessment over how likely is this household able to afford the rent. From their perspective, that's a risk assessment. 
if the percentage of rent is too high as a percentage of income, then that household is very likely to fall into arrears at some point because some other bill will come up, something will happen, and they'll fall behind. But if the desperation level is, is high enough and the rent prices keep going up, they may decide that the risk versus reward of accepting that person with a slightly higher risk profile is actually still worth it. So although they will have kind of tapped out at the people who can pay 30%, they'll open it up to 40% uh, and then 45 and then 50. And so, you know, we, we're really getting into a sort of a disaster area at that point, but, but that is a likely outcome that will happen if we don't address the way that the market is operating. Fundamentally, the problem is that housing is an essential service, but we aren't acting like it is. We, we don't mm. regulate it and we don't have governments engaging in the kind of oversight that they provide to things like energy prices, to water prices, to healthcare, education, all these other fundamentals for a, a life that is of a decent standard that you know anyone in 21st century Australia should expect. We have quite a lot of oversight from government in these other areas, and we don't have anything like the same level in housing. It's it's seen as a, a different kind of consumer good that it's sort of more like a luxury item that, you know, really that the producers can, can set whatever conditions they like. And that's why we're seeing this really disjointed sort of approach where it's it's really getting away from what I think most people in Australia think is a reasonable way of, of housing people, or at least the outcomes are getting away from what, what people expect. But it's because we, we have not put in place the kind of oversight and consideration that we do in, in a range of other factors, a range of other industries. Is there anywhere people can go to for rental assistance? So there's a range of types of assistance. So people can approach the Department of Communities and Justice, who runs the, the social housing system, they also have a lot of private rental assistance products that can range from bond loans to uh, even sometimes rent itself to help cover and prevent a family or a household falling into arrears. There's a large number of charities like St. Vincent's and the Salvation Army who also will give different levels of financial support, again, to try and make sure that people don't fall into uh, homelessness or into more severe financial situations. And then there are advice services. So the Tenants Union sits in the middle of a network of local tenants advice services who can give people guidance and answer questions about their legal rights, which obviously also helps prevent the situations getting worse. But ultimately, our advice services aren't so much, but ultimately a lot of the support that is out there is really aimed at the crisis end. And mm. they don't really assist with sort of the day-to-day -day frustration <laughs> that, um, that, that people are feeling at the moment where they haven't quite fallen off the edge yet, but they're getting worried that they're getting close to it. Most families receive Commonwealth rent assistance uh, from the federal government. So there's basically everyone receiving the family tax benefits, which is a, a, a quite wide range of, of households, receive some level of rent assistance to help cover some of those costs. But rent assistance is a, uh, has, has not kept up with the rent prices. As rents increased really over the last 20 or 30 years, rents have increased much faster than the rent assistance support has. 
Do you have any further advice for those renters that, as you alluded to there, are not in that crisis stage yet, but are definitely feeling that pinch of higher prices? Mm. I think that, you know, it's difficult to walk past that it is really a policy choice of government to run the renting system the way that it is being run at the moment. We've set it up to be this way. And so the good news is that that means that government can fix the problem. They can consider the laws around renting. They can consider the standards that we've put in place, both around the properties, but also the people providing the properties. We do this for most industries. We say, even for food, we say that there's certain standards that you have to comply with to make sure that the service you're delivering is safe and healthy and not causing people food poisoning and so on. And we can do the same in renting. We can we can say to people, this is an essential service. It's really important that houses are provided. It, it's a it's a good thing that people are investing in it, but that comes with some community obligations. It comes with some responsibilities to make sure that what is being provided is safe, stable and affordable housing. And that is where government needs to, to come in and step in at the moment to really reset those expectations. So letting your representatives know what you're going through, the frustrations that you're feeling is important because at the moment, many politicians don't see housing as a political issue that they need to respond to. They essentially don't think people will change their votes because of the party's housing policies. And we actually don't think that's that's quite true. And we also know that people who rent have a wide range of political opinions. People support all different parties. And, you know, this isn't just a, a one-sided political question. It is really about the values that Australia has and New South Wales has about how we want our communities to, to be. Do we want our neighbours to still be there next week and, and, and be our friends and, and have those kind of connections? Because unfortunately, when you're renting, you can end up having to move around so often that you don't get to create those connections within your community. And that's a real shame. Leo, thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely, Siobhan. Anytime. That's Leo Patterson-Ross. He's the CEO of the New South Wales Tenants Union, and I'll put links to some of those resources he mentioned in the notes of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love. If you did, please rate, review or favourite. That way you'll get all the new episodes, plus we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, email me at feedplaylove at listener.com. Bye for now.